We will be in Genesis chapter 12, a surprise for no one, I hope. Um, we, continue, we continue preaching through the Word of God and through uh, the message that He has for us from Genesis. And I got to tell you, I'm super excited to be able to preach, um, continue on in this passage. It's an exciting passage, and God's Word is just, it's incredible when you get into it and you start studying it, not just kind of passing through it you know, as part of a reading plan that you're not reading through devotionally, that you're not reading through uh, to discover more about God's love of you and for you. And I was just encouraged and reminded again from God's Word this morning found in Ephesians chapter 2. It's, it's again an opportunity for us to see Paul's writings of how God has, has intervened in our life. And so um, kind of an aside, but most importantly critical for all of us, um, a few words from, from the Lord from Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I just want to encourage you and remind you that it was God who saw your mess. It was God who saw your need of saving. It was him who in eternity past had a plan for you, for your life, that you would come to a saving faith in him, that he would be so gracious to even provide you that gift of faith so that you would believe, that you would have that confident assurance. And if you don't have a confident assurance of your salvation today, um, please come see me after the service. Please come see Pastor Tom at the information counter. Um, if, you have, if you believe that you've been saved for, for decades and you can't really fathom what it means to be fully assured of your salvation, please come and speak with us. We want to give you some truth from God's word that um, is, is a truth that is spoken into your life if you give your life to Christ, if you confess of your sin and repent of it and trust in his saving work. And so that's what we rejoice in each and every day when we are, give thanks for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we thank you, we thank the Lord that he didn't only give us a life of eternity spent with him, but he's given us such a abundant life here in Christ, as Pastor Tom and I were talking this morning before service. So with, with that scripture read, we want to turn our attention to our passage today. I want to remind us of what God has informed us in, the, in this last week and what uh, Pastor James has taught. Um, but as I read through this passage, I was reading through it and I was thinking, you know, this is really something that, um, that a screenplay writer would probably want to write a movie about. He would see this passage, and unfortunately, with Hollywood liberties, they would mess it up. And so as I prepared to preach this passage, my prayer is that I wouldn't mess it up. There's, there's few details here, and we can jump to all kinds of conclusions. And so we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful what the God's Word says, um, what the author intends, and we want to glean from it what God has for us. And so we're going to be looking ahead a little bit into Genesis to hopefully bring some clarity uh, to this passage, but we do want to camp out on these verses. So Genesis chapter 12, if you want to turn over that way with me if you're not already there. Well, last week, um, Pastor James kind of gave us part one, if you will, of, of, our, of our action movie here, and he gave us the acronym of FAITH. And there's all kinds of acronyms out there. Um, there were a few that he gave us that we probably were familiar with, but he gave us one that I, I want to remind you of, and it was one that um, the Lord gave him, and it, is, it stands this way. It says, fervent action in the hearing. That's what faith is. Fervent action in the hearing. So it's not passive, right? It's not something that um, that when we trust in Christ, when we have a faith in God, that we just sit and do nothing. Even as we just read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship, that he created us and purposed in eternity past. He, he created us for his good work, for his good pleasure. Earlier in verse 1 of chapter 12, we see that the Lord gave Abram a command. He told him to go. But he didn't just tell him to go. He also gave him some blessings. There were seven blessings. Um, James outlined it as two groups of three and then a single blessing. And so God has given Abraham this, Abram this instruction. He tells him to go. And what does Abram do? He goes. Verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had spoken to him. 
When the Lord calls and he gives you instruction, we're called to obey him. And that's what we see in Abram. It's what got him into the the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that we got to look at last week and we're reminded of of how God works mightily in these uh, patriarchs from the Old Testament. Verse 7, again, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, to his descendants, I will give this land. So he, Abram, built an altar there to the Lord. What did he do? He worshipped the Lord. Now we were told that Abram was older Sarai was older as well. She was 65. Um, in, our, uh, in our time, that seems to be well past the age that it would be conceivable and possible for a woman to conceive. Verse 8. Then he proceeds from there. Abram proceeds to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. And what did he do? There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And as we were reminded or informed last week, that this calling upon the name of the Lord is an act of worship of God. Abram journeyed on, and what did he do? He went south toward the Negev. If you look at your teaching outline today, you'll notice that there are no fill-in-the-blanks. Um, for those who that's helpful to fill in the blanks and to keep you, you know, attentive, um, instead of filling in the blank, you know, circle something, underline it, make, mark it up. Um, if it's helpful for you to draw pictures, um, go ahead and do that. Please don't draw pictures of me. Um, that would be, uh, actually might be uh, kind of comical. Um, but uh, I would encourage you to just follow along in the teaching outline. Um, we have different ways that we do outlines. Uh, Pastor Tom and I some, have something uh, resembling each other's. Um, I, I like to throw the questions that I, that I talk through during the message on. So we're not going to walk through each and every point that I have on this outline but they are there for you to walk through uh, later on this work. I pray that you would go back and, and look at the passages um, that we have, that we provide for you. We always give you more cross-references and more passages than we are able to take the time to walk through uh, on a Sunday morning. But I've titled our message today, Abram and Sarai, an account of famine, fear, deception, and God's intervention. And that is a great place to begin. Last week, we finished off with an application um, that was given to us for this, this gift of faith that God has provided for us. We were told that faith in the Lord God through Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, produces obedience and worship. And as I considered what that application was, the question that I kind of wondered about my own life you know, say maybe some of us can fall into the trappings of being legalistic. Maybe some of us can fall into the, the ways of looking for God's commands so we can obey them, but we forget the worship part. So what happens when we desire to obey the Lord, but we forget to worship him? When our obedience is more about the law and less about love, a love for God, a love for others, do these become works of, of the law? Do they become self-righteous works, where we build ourselves up, where we actually seem to try and credit something in our account towards our own salvation. And so I want to remind us of our faith that we have in God, though he has, we are his workmanship and he has created us for good works, that those works don't save us, but that he merely invites us into his activity that he still has today here in this life. And so we're going to consider Abraham... Abram, sorry, and his works. Uh, We're going to consider some of the things that he did. We know that he's in the hall of faith, but we also know that Abram is not Jesus. So we don't look to him as a savior. We don't look to him and say, there's a perfect example. We can only look to Christ for that. And so we want to do that this morning. We want to look at Abram and, and what God has given us in this account and say, how am I walking in similar ways of disobedience or maybe even a lack of faith, a lack of understanding. So I put on your teaching outline, just under the heading, faith is living without scheming. I've heard this said before, I couldn't find who actually said it, but faith is living without scheming. Why do I say that? And why did I include that in this outline? Underneath that, living by faith in God does not require our meddling. Amen? It does not require our meddling. God doesn't say, 
this is your plan, this, my, this is my plan for you, but in order for it to come about, you need to meddle in it and mess up and mix up and come about a different kind of plan or a different way to get there. Does anybody ever grow impatient in the Lord? Yes, amen. Some of us do. I certainly do. Faith is living without scheming. And we're going to see how scheming took place in this passage. We're going to see how um, God always intervenes in our mess. He's always present. He always has a way that honors him and glorifies him. And we need to stop and recognize that his way is best, that his way is right. And when we're straying from that way, even if it's a half a degree, that it's out of his will. So let's turn to Genesis 12. We're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to read through the last 10 verses of this passage and uh, we'll dig into, see what God has for us this morning. Genesis 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are women beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is, he, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for these accounts in Genesis. We thank you for the ways that we see your faithfulness, the way that we see your perfect provision, Father, ways that we can rest in your plan and your timing. Father, we thank you for your direction that you give us. And Lord, we want to cry out to you for wisdom today, that we would recognize the steps that you have for us to walk in. Father, as we consider Galatians 5, the command to keep in step with the Spirit, Lord, that we wouldn't rush ahead, that we wouldn't lag behind, that we would be in right fellowship with you constantly. Father, that our sin would not impede our, able to, our ability to hear what it is you have for us from your word. Lord, that we would be mindful of the directions that you give us. That we would be mindful of the commands that you give us when you need us to stop, to slow down. Maybe to shift into a higher gear to get a move on. So Lord, we rest in you. Lord, yet we know that you have called us to be active. You have created us for these good works and we want to be faithful to walk in them because of Christ, through the power of your spirit in accordance to your word. And so uh, we surrender our lives to you today. Teach us from your word this morning, Lord. Won't you teach uh, your word through me? Lord, uh, pray that you would direct my thoughts and my attentions, that we would all be focused on what your word has for us this morning. Father, that we would leave here this morning a changed people, that we would see your glory that we would marvel at your feet, that we would always be worshiping you. Lord, that our acts of obedience would be clothed in, in just a, a sacrifice of praise to you. Father, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. All right. So we'll dig right into the story. We look in this account, we start with point number one, and it's the famine. We see this in verse 10. I remind you, verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So not only was there a famine in the land, it was severe. Severe enough that he, Abram, felt the desire to relocate. 
right? He didn't see that this was going to be a short-lived one where he was praying for a monsoon to come and hit so that crops might be able to grow, so that food might be able to flourish, so that cattle might be able to be watered. It was a severe enough famine that he sought a way to live outside of his current area that he was sojourning in. What does it mean to sojourn? It means that they were residing somewhere temporarily, which is currently what they were doing anyways, right? They were traveling. They had been sent from God, and they were going through the land, and God was revealing to them a land that would be given to his descendants. And so he continued on in this sojourn. Was Abram fleeing to where the grass is greener? It's a saying that we often hear. It's often one that we think of. And what I usually like to add on to that is to... Oh, no, I just lost my, my saying that I say. Uh, the grass is greener where you water it. And so did Abram have an opportunity to call out to God for him to water the ground where he was at? Did he have an opportunity to, to trust in God for his perfect provision? Or had God given him direction to move, to move on, to go to Egypt so that the Lord might continue to do his work in Abram's life? These are questions that we don't necessarily have the answer for in this passage. And as I said before, we could jump to all kinds of conclusions and we could create this whole dialogue and this whole interwoven story. But we know that the Lord has um, exactly what we need in this passage for us today. Well, was it wrong for Abram to actually go to Egypt? It certainly was not. What do the scriptures tell us? What do the scriptures point to us in this passage? Who else had gone to Egypt? So my question was, is it it actually wrong for the Israelites, for God's chosen people, they weren't Israelites at this time, to actually go to Egypt and reside there? We think of Joseph and Mary. They were instructed to go to Egypt to protect Jesus from being killed by Herod. So it certainly wasn't wrong to actually go and, and reside there temporarily. In fact, we see maybe the Lord's protection in that. We're going to see the story unfold in these verses. We're going to hear of the incredible true story, this account that God has given us. When there is severe famine in your life, do you trust God? Do you take action when you become impatient with God? And maybe you're starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe your stomach of your soul is growling, right? It's got a hunger. How is the Lord going to provide for you? What does he need to nourish you with today from his word? There's a great passage in Matthew 6. I would turn your attention there later on this week. If you're in a place of famine and if you're in a place of of longing to hear from the Lord to be fed from him, If you're in a place of anxiety, turn there this week. Be encouraged of the Lord's faithfulness and his care and his love for you. Do you trust God with the details of your life? And what does that even mean to trust God with the details? We've got all kinds of general promises that God has for us. We have have a perfect direction from him, but we don't see specific details constantly throughout our life from God's word. I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. And many of you are probably familiar with verses 5 and 6 and could recite it. But I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. I want you to see on the pages of your Bible some encouragement from the Lord and some direction and a great warning for you and for me. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read 5 through 8. starts this way. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is a passage that we're all familiar with. Verse 7 goes on to say this, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. How many of us, when we're in times of 
of trouble or in times where there's trials that are in our life or there's times where we need direction and counsel from God. We cling to, a, to an open promise. We cling to a promise of, of a general direction. But then we start to make our own plans but fail to ask the Lord for wisdom. James 1.5 gives us just great promises of that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. And how does he do? How does he give it to us? In his generosity. There's no one more generous and gracious and merciful than the Lord God. So cry out to him for wisdom. It's a, it's a promise that he will give it to you. Wait on him for that wisdom. Seek godly counsel from others. Look at the scriptures. See how God might direct your path. But do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord God and turn away from evil. Whatever direction you go, make sure it is not in step with your flesh, in step with evil. Another question I have under this passage is, do you seek your own benefit above others? We're going to see how that unfolds in this passage. What, what do your decisions reveal about your true loves? Are you seeking your own benefit above others? Are you seeking your own blessing above others that maybe you have a responsibility to? Married men, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? I pray that you are growing in obedience to that. I pray that you're growing in understanding of what that actually looks like and means from the scriptures. That as you see Christ and as you see him relating to the world around him in his earthly ministry, that you see examples of how better and how best you can love your wife. Married men, do you put your wife in situations that compromise her? Do you show a lack of, <clears throat> excuse me, do you show lack of care for her? Do you dishonor the vow that God, that you made to God and that you made to your wife? We're going to have some great times of discipleship, men, together. And I pray that the Lord grows us in understanding of what that looks like. And I encourage you in the, in the weeks and months ahead to, to really participate in those even for those who aren't married, God has called us to be a people, a man set apart. God is so good to us. Point number two is this story continues to unfold from Genesis 12, verses 11 and 12. We hear more of what, what transpires. We see that Abraham, Abram was afraid for his life, physically for his life. We read of famine, this severe famine. But we also hear something else in this passage. We see the scriptures reveal that he will be afraid for his life because of envy and jealousy of others, because of Sarai's beauty. Verse 11, if you turn back there, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Fearing man over God is wrongly focusing on your circumstances. It's focusing on your comfort. It's focusing on your position, your power, rather than focusing on the sovereign one. Faith is that confident assurance. It's having that trust in God and who he is. Abram's words reveal that he believed God's plans and promises could actually be thwarted by man. God had given him a promise. He had given him blessings that he was going to see fulfill. But somehow he doubted. Somehow he thought, well, we better spin this tale that, or this half-truth to protect me and also to protect Sarai. He thought that somehow man could be more powerful to bring about their plan, their will over God's. And so what did he do? He figured it was up to him to make God's blessings come true. Later in chapter 16 of Genesis, we're going to see Abram try to make God's promise come about through Hagar, the servant, rather than wait on the Lord with Sarai. When God gives us direction, do we try to figure out our own route there? The fastest way there, maybe. 
the way that's more comfortable for us, more convenient for us. When potential threats await you, do you scheme up a plan rather than trust God for his perfect protection? Romans 8.31 asks the question, what shall we say to these things, to the promises of God? As he foreknew us, as he predestined us, as he has redeemed us and will glorify us. If God is for us, who can be against us? How can we fear man over God? For those of us who are in Christ, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So whose glory are you seeking? 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us that it's God's glory that we should be seeking. It's God's glory no matter what we do, no matter what we say, whether we eat or drink. Everything that we do in our life should be for his glory. So in this situation in Genesis 12, how would God be glorified in Abraham not protecting Sarai, his wife, from others? How could this be a way that God is glorified, that God is honored and and praised and rejoiced in? Takes us to the next point, number three, deception. Verse 13. What does Abraham instruct Sarai? Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Does that sound deceptive? Does it sound like a plan to deceive those around him? My lies seek my benefit and blessing. When we lie to others, that's potentially what we're saying. We're seeking our own benefit. We're seeking our own blessing. We're seeking praise from others. But what do my lies reveal? My lies show a fear of the truth and what might happen to me as a result of the truth actually being revealed. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10 say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What do we learn of lies from this passage? Lies are of our fleshly self. They're not of the Lord. We're to put on the new self as believers in Christ Jesus. This new self is being renewed continually by the Spirit through his word. It's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. If you recall from Genesis chapter 1, we are God's image bearers. Are you bearing God's image? Are you faithful in what you say and what you do to rightly reflect the image of Christ? Our new self in Christ Jesus is a renewal to the image of our creator. In this passage, we see that scheming is an actual lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in God's control. It's a lack of faith that attempts to usurp his authority. How does it do that? It devises our own way. Ephesians chapter 6, we are reminded of the armor of God. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Jesus told us that Satan was the father of lies and that he has been lying from the very beginning as we saw in Genesis. He's a liar. He's a schemer according to Ephesians. Ephesians 6 continues on, verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Are you standing firm in the truth of God? Are you standing firm in what God has told us in his word? Are you believing who God said he is? Are you believing the promises that he has for you from his word? Are you believing the commands that he's instructed us to walk in that they actually are for our benefit? And that they actually will bless us, and not only us, but most importantly, that it'll bless others. 
and it'll point people to Christ. That as they see our good works, they'll glorify the Father in heaven. When people see your good works, do they know that it's the Father who needs to be glorified? Or do they say, oh, I need to be more like so-and-so? If I could just be a better person, have they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from you? Do they know the good news that apart from Christ, we could do nothing? And that when they see your works, it's all because of God. And that he's the one who gets the glory. So we see in our passage in Genesis 12 that Abram takes this scheming to another step. He puts it into action. He instructs Sarah. He says, say you are my sister. So the scheming has now manifested itself with lies. It shows our desire to paint a different reality of the situation. Deceit. It creates this narrative of a new story, a fictional story, right? One that's not true, but one that you want people to to receive and to enjoy, to walk in a reality of. Number four in our outline is feast and fortune. And we continue on in Genesis 12. We look at verse 14 where it says, When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for, this, for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. The Egyptians and Pharaoh's officials saw the beauty of Sarai, and they praised her to Pharaoh himself. What transpires next? Sarah, doesn't, does it sound like she just goes willingly, that it's like she offered herself up to them, oh, you find me pretty, so I'm going to go and live in your household? It says that she has taken. Do we read of a battle? Do we read of Abram defending her? No, we read that Abram is treated well for her sake, just as he thought it might go well for him if they told this half-truth, if they deceived. And, and we just read what well looks like. It looks like great affluence. Here's a man who's sojourning in a country. He left the country of severe famine. He's ex- probably expecting to spend everything ha- he has just to survive. What's happening? There's a, a twist in, in his story. This deceit, this lie, has all of a sudden produced affluence. He's probably feeling pretty good about how things are right now for himself. What consideration is there for Sarai? Our world proclaims the lie that if it feels right, to do it. Or to do as your heart desires, right? To trust your feelings. They can't be wrong, right? You got to look out for number one. And who was number one in Abram's life? Do the worldly blessings allowed into our life always mean God approves and that we are blessed by God? At times, might they actually be a distraction from the enemy himself? Or might they actually be a test to see how we steward with a tight fist or an open hand? When the Lord has given you something, are you holding on to it where it almost has become an idol in your life? Or are you stewarding it with open hands? ready to give it for someone else to use, to bless other people, but to receive it back even from the Lord. Abram has gone and made a mess of things, hasn't he? His wife was taken. The promise and blessings of God seem to be in jeopardy, right? God has promised the offspring. He's promised that his descendants would get the land that the Canaanites are currently dwelling in. This is a great point in the text where we're now led to another but God moment in time. If you're ever looking for a great study in the scriptures, look at all the times where it says, but the Lord or but God. If we backed up in Ephesians 2 this morning, we would see that pronounced right there. 
God intervenes. And that is our next point, number, f- number five in your outline. Circle it, highlight it, stroke it through, whatever needs to happen. Verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. What's happening in these passages? What greater clarity do we get of what has transpired in the earlier passages? We read that God was the one who afflicted Pharaoh and his house house with plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. What was done against Sarai that these plagues were brought into Pharaoh? And his household. We're told that she was taken. We know that affluence was given to Abram for her sake. Well, the Hollywood writers again would have have a, a real field day with this. Somehow Pharaoh connected this curse on him and his household to dishonoring Abram. What does the scripture tell us? Well, this passage doesn't give a lot of clarity for us. Pharaoh unknowingly took Sarai as his own wife, though she was already married to Abram. Pharaoh had this belief in his actions that they were actually impacting his current condition and his household. So what was Pharaoh's response? His response was to confront Abram with the truth, which is what Abram should have said at the very beginning. He confronted Abram, and rather than kill Abram, right, which most pharaohs probably would have done, we see the Lord's grace and his protection. Protection on the promise that he gave Abram, regardless of Abram's disobedience. Rather than kill Abram so that he might rightfully have Sarai as his wife, which we know David does with Bathsheba later on, wouldn't be a story that we might not expect to see in the scriptures. Pharaoh gives Sarai back to Abram, and he sends them away with all that they had. And this includes what Pharaoh himself had given to Abram. Not just what Abram came with, including his wife. So we need to turn to the scriptures to see the faithfulness of God with an unfaithful people. We see clarity for the next time that this misleading truth of Sarai being Abram's wife, Abram's sister, is told. And so if you would turn over to Genesis Chapter 20. Just want to touch on this passage briefly for us. Because I think it gives us maybe a potential answer to what transpired even here. We see the Lord's protection. We see his hand upon Sarai that that he protected her, that she would be given back to Abram. You can read the whole chapter later on to see the full counsel of it. We'll get to it, Lord willing. Uh, one day, but I want us to consider what happens in verse 20 of chapter 2. We're going to read through 7. And Abram said of Sarah, his, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Here we go again. And Abimelech, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. And he said to him, behold, you are a dead man. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so we have from this account later on in Genesis 20, An example of God intervening with great clarity here. We see God intervening in the life of King Abimelech. 
letting him know that he has taken another man's woman to be his wife. We see that the marriage wasn't consummated by God's hand of protection upon Sarah, his protection of the lineage of Christ himself. It's that but God moment where God has intervened. We're informed that from the very beginning, Abram devised a plan to protect his life. If we look in Genesis 20, verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is Abraham saying to Sarah, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Abraham's scheming right from the very beginning. He went in obedience to God. When God said go, he he went. But he schemed right from the very beginning with Sarah. That every place that they entered, that he would say, that they both would say that she is his sister. Of which she was. She was a half-sister. How do we respond when God intervenes in our life? When he cleans up our life, when he's called to that messy aisle in our life where the cleanup call is, is taking place. When he's the one who does the work. When we look to Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sinfulness against God, how do we respond? Do we worship him? Do we praise him? Do we confess our sinfulness? Do we confess that we were figuring out our own plan, our own practices that we thought might honor the Lord or bring about our own benefit and glory? Are these actual pivotal points in our life when we know that God has intervened? Pivotal points of of building our faith in God so that we don't make the same again, same mistake again. Down in verse 20, we read this, And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. This is Abram. And they sent Abram away with his wife Sarai and all that he had. God in his mercy provides for Abram. Provides for Abram and his clan. He builds his clan so that when they leave Pharaoh and Egypt, they're leaving way wealthier than when they had actually arrived. Faith is living out a trust and a confidence in God, in his plan, in his provision, trusting in his ways. Living in faith by God, living in faith in God does not require our meddling. We don't need to scheme up ways for his plans to come to be. Faith in the Lord God through Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit produces obedience and it produces worship. In our life, we're going to see famine of sorts. Some of us are walking through famines of sorts right now. We're going to encounter trials that we may be tempted to be fearful of and in as we walk through them. We're going to possibly even think that deception is a right course of action for our protection. We may have much and be experiencing feasts and fortune right now, but to the detriment of others. No matter the day, no matter the situation, we must have faith in the faithful one our Lord Jesus Christ. Takes us to our application in our message this morning. Point number one is to trust in God. Why would we trust in God? Because he's trustworthy. He has a perfect track record. He's the only trustworthy one who has never deviated from his plans, who knows all things, who's all-powerful, He's the perfect one to trust in. The rest of point number one says, trust in God and the promises that pertain to you. There's all kinds of promises throughout Scripture. And so often we read a promise and we're like, oh, I'm claiming that one as mine. But it has nothing to do with you. There's much better promises for us. The ones that God has directed to us who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the perfect promises because they are applied to our life for God's glory, 
for our benefit, for our very good. Number two in the application, let the testimonies of God's faithfulness throughout Scripture build your belief. Build your belief in his desire and ability to fulfill his promises to you. Trust in the testimony of God's faithfulness. As we read encounters like this with Abram and Sarah and we see how God rescued them, how he provided for them, how he always has a way out of the circumstances and situations, it might be very uncomfortable for you. But if it's in God's will, it's perfect. It's the best plan for you. Number three, live in the peace of God. Resting in him for his perfect care of you. Right? We're saved. We've given an eternal promise. But we're also called to live today. To live in the abundance of Christ himself. It's when we do that, when we trust in Christ. When we trust in the promises of God. When we trust in God the Father and his plan for us. That we truly can have peace. Right? We're not worried about tomorrow. If you go back and look at Matthew 6, you'll be reminded of that. Live in the peace of God, resting in him for his perfect, his perfect care of you. Number four, actively pursue opportunities. Right? Living in the peace of God and resting in him doesn't call us to be passive Christians, doesn't call us to sit on the couch at home. It calls us to be active to pursue the opportunities that God has given us, one of the opportunities that we try to make available for you to be obedient to God is to practice the one another's. We can do that here in our corporate worship service and afterwards, and especially we can do it in koinonia groups at home, in the homes throughout the week. So actively pursue opportunities to proclaim His excellencies, to testify who God is, to testify to what He has done in your life, to his faithfulness. Build other people's faith by testifying to what God has done. And that's why it's always such a blessing when we get praises in the prayer requests that are, are shared with us. That as we've walked alongside you with this intercessory prayer ministry, that when God has been so faithful to bring about the, his response to those prayer requests, we want to praise him with you. He's such a good God. Number five. Last but not least, practice loving others so that God might bless them through you. Have you thought that God might want to bless other people through you? It's hard to imagine that God would want to bless others through me, but God can do that. That's the miraculous right there. Practice loving others so that God might bless them through you, building their faith in God. Not their faith in you, not their faith in man and, and man meeting their needs, but their faith in God and his care. His unique, special, incredible love for them. So faith is living without scheming. It's living without devising your own plan, without narrating your own story, a fictional false story. Living in faith by God does not require our meddling. Praise the Lord. We can rest in him actively pursuing the Christian life, actively surrendering our life to God, looking at the scriptures, growing in our love of God so that everything that we do, every single act of obedience is done in worship of him. So I encourage you this week to, to look at some of those questions, especially read the scripture. That's the most important. Important part, most important part. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father God, you are the faithful one. You're the one who has intervened in our lives. Father, we as a people across the globe recognize your common grace that you have given to all. Lord, life and breath the opportunity that you have given us, each and every single moment, an opportunity to respond to you. Father, we want to respond rightly, biblically to you this morning. Father, if there's sin in our life, may we confess it right now. Father, if you're convicting us of sin, you've 
you've made the truth known, the ways that we need to walk in known to us. So by your spirit, won't you help us have a new practice and pattern in our life of following in steps of obedience by the power of your Holy Spirit? Father, as we rejoice and consider the gospel in our very life today, the good news of Jesus Christ, that through him we have salvation, that our sin debt has been paid for, that the wrath, your just wrath, that was poured out on Christ Jesus was the wrath that was meant for me, that was meant for you who are here today. Father, thank you for making a way that was impossible for us to be able to come into your presence to be declared righteous, to be justified in your sight, as if we had always obeyed in the same way that Jesus Christ obeyed you, fully, completely, in all ways, perfectly. We look to Jesus, we worship him for his earthly example. We worship him as he sits at your right hand this morning. Lord, we long for the day when we can be in your presence and in your glory, where we're out of this world that is ravaged by sin, that the scheming of the devil, of the enemy, of you, Lord Jesus, is having his way. Lord Jesus, help us to be a light in this dark and desperate world that needs to hear of you, that needs to learn of you, that needs to see you lived out before their very eyes. So Father, won't you do a work of building the faith that you have given to us, that you've imparted to us as a gift, that we didn't earn it. We simply put out our hands open to you to receive what you have given us so lovingly, so graciously. Father, as we close out our time in song, help us to worship you rightly. Help us to rejoice in the truth of the word, Lord, even as we considered this passage in its simplicity but in its fullness. Continue to teach us this week as we meditate on your word, as we minister to others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.